It says, For I know the thoughts that I have that I think towards you, saith the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil, to give you an expected end. Then shall ye call upon me, and ye shall go and pray unto me, and I will hearken unto you. And ye shall seek me and find me, when ye shall search for me with all your heart. And I will be found of you, saith the Lord. And I will turn away your captivity, and I will gather you from all the nations and from all the places whither I have driven you, saith the Lord. And I will bring you again into the place whence I caused you to be carried away captive. You can be seated. He said, plans to give us hope in the future. He wants us to have a future. And I'm going to tell you, if you're a Christian, then you've got that hope that God gives. A hope for a better life. A hope for a better future. A hope for an eternity in heaven with Him. See, God's got plans for us to prosper, not just financially. When we think of prosper, prosper we think money. But He also wants us to prosper emotionally, physically, and spiritually. He plans to give us hope in the future. Now turn over to Psalms chapter 32 and verse 8. Psalms 32 and 8. Psalms chapter 32 and 8 says, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eyes. Now turn on over to Psalm 33 and 11. Psalm 33 and 11. It says, The counsel of the Lord standeth forever, the thoughts of his heart to all generations. Well, to all generations of us. And every generation before us and every generation after us. God's got plans for us. So, these are just a few verses that tell us that God's got a plan for our life. And it's in the Word of God, so it's got to be true. And I'm sure all of y'all would agree to that. The Word of God is true. So, if He says He's got a plan for us, then it's true. So, if we really believe that God's got a plan for our life, are we accomplishing that plan? Are we? And if anything, when you leave today, that's what I want you to ask yourself. Am I doing what God wants me to? Am I really doing what God wants me to? Or, or are we even trying to do what God wants us to? That's the sad part. That goes back to lip service. Oh, I want God's will, but then when He laid something on my heart to do something, we just sit there and make up excuses on why we can't. Huh? Are we trying to accomplish God's plan for us? Or do we have the attitude, God, I want to? And so I would never say that. Yes, we do. God, I want to. I don't think it's that important. Somebody else will do it. How many times do we think or hear that? Somebody else will do it. Well, someone will do it. 
we need somebody to do so-and-so in the church. And we sit on the pew, and I'm just as guilty, maybe more so than anybody else, thinking, well, somebody will. Somebody will volunteer. Somebody will do it. Not me, but somebody will. Are we even trying to accomplish what God wants in our life? You know, we're so quick to say, well, I'm ever. Well, maybe we need to look at some biblical examples and see if we fall into any of these categories of God I don't want to. Turn over to Exodus. Exodus chapter 3. Exodus chapter 3, and I'm going to start in verse 3. We're going to read a lot out of that, but I'm going to take it a little bit at a time. Exodus 3 and 3. It says that Moses said, and I've seen the burning bush, and this is where we come in at. And Moses said, I will turn aside and see this great sight while the bush is not burnt. And when the Lord saw that he turned aside to see, God called unto him, out of the midst of the bush and said, Moses, Moses. And he said, Here am I. And he said, Draw not nigh hither. Put off thy shoes from thy feet, for the place whereon thou standest is holy ground. Moreover, he said, I am the God of thy father, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. And Moses hid his face, for he was afraid to look upon God. Moses had just talked to God himself and had stood in the presence of God Almighty. Well, we may not see a burning bush, and I don't know about you, but I have stood in the presence of God Almighty. I could feel his presence sometimes so strong it just wants to knock me off my feet. He's with us every day, 24 7. Now, I can walk beside you every step of the way. I can be by your side when you go and do everything. But there will be no communication between us if you don't ever speak to me. God's there. He's with us. But then we communicate with him. See, we're quick to say, oh, God's with me. God protects me. God blesses me. God does this and God does that. Yes, he does. But what do we do for him? How do we treat him? How much communication goes back and forth? Have you ever been with somebody and you want to say something? Maybe they're talking and you don't want to interrupt. Or you can tell they're kind of thinking about something so you don't want to break into their thoughts. And even though you want to say something and tell them something... You hold it in. I wonder if God wants to tell us something sometimes and we won't be quiet long enough to listen or we're too busy to hear. See, that works both ways. But he's not going to ask you to do anything that you're that he's not prepared you to do. Now, look at verse 7. 
says, And the Lord said, I have surely seen the affliction of my people which are in Egypt, and have heard their cry by reason of their taskmasters, for I know their sorrow. God knows what's going on in our life all the time. Now, we've got five daughters. Sometimes we know what's going on in their life, and sometimes we don't. Sometimes they need help, and we don't know it because they don't tell us. And the thing is, sometimes I wonder why they don't tell us, because they know if they told us, we would immediately help if we could. God wants us to come with Him with everything. Our problems, our sorrows, our heartaches, but also with our praises and our thanksgiving. Now, skip over to, well, just drop down to verse 9 and 10. It says, Now therefore, behold, the cry of the children of Israel, now this is God talking, the cry of the children of Israel is coming to me, and I have also seen the oppression wherewith the Egyptians oppress them. Come now, therefore, and I will send thee unto Pharaoh, that thou mayest bring forth my people, the children of Israel, out of Egypt. Now God just told Moses what his plan was for him. He was going to use him. And God will use each and every one of us. So he told Moses what he was going to do. He said, I'm going to send you. You're the one I picked. When we're sitting there on a pew and somebody says, we need this or that within the church, and that little flicker goes through your mind that, well, I could do that, but somebody else will do it. God's trying to tell you his plan for you. He's given you an opportunity to serve him. Now, we have free choice. Whether we take that opportunity and go with it is totally up to us. But God has given us the opportunity. Now look at verse 11 through 14. It says, And Moses said unto God, Who am I that I should go into Pharaoh and that I should bring forth the children of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, Certainly I will be with thee, and this shall be a token unto thee, that I have sent thee, when thou hast brought thou forth the people out of Egypt, ye shall serve God upon this mountain. And Moses said unto God, here we go, Behold, when I come unto the children of Israel, and shall say unto them, The God of your fathers has sent me unto you, and they shall say unto me, What is his name? What shall I say unto them? And God said unto Moses, I am that I am. And he said, Thus shalt thou say unto the children of Israel, I am has sent me unto you. First excuse Moses came up with. Think about it. God tells Moses exactly what he wants him to do. He tells him who, what to say on who sent him. Yet, Moses didn't take that. So, he says, what should I say to him? And God said to tell him that he had sinned. What do I tell him? 
what your name is when they ask. See, Moses was full of excuses. And sometimes we are too. Now, verse 14 through 22, God tells Moses exactly what to say. He tells him exactly what's going to happen. He tells him exactly how it's going to be. But is that good enough for Moses to take action? I mean, God told him he's sending him. He's told him what to say. He's told him what's going to happen. No, wasn't good enough. So once God told him all of this, this is what Moses had to say. Now turn over to chapter 4, Exodus chapter 4, verse 1. It said, And Moses answered and said, But behold, they will not believe me, nor hearken unto my voice, for they will say, The Lord hath not appeared unto thee. And the Lord said unto him, What is that in thine hand? And he said, A rod. And he said, cast it on the ground. And he cast it on the ground, and it became a serpent. And Moses fled from before it. And the Lord said unto Moses, Put forth thy hand, and take it by the tail. And he put forth his hand, and caught it. And it became a rod in his hand. Now, once again, God kind of dissolved and put an end to Moses' excuses. He worked a miracle to prove to Moses that he could do it and that God would be with him. I think of Moses sometimes, even after the rod turning into a snake, that wasn't good enough. Look at verse 6. It says, And the Lord said furthermore unto him, Put now thine hand to thy bosom, and he put his hand to his bosom, and when he took it out, behold, the hand was leprous as snow. And he said, Put thine hand into thy bosom again. And he put his hand into his bosom again, plucked it out of his bosom, and behold, it turned again to his other hand. God worked miracles to prove to Moses that he would be with them. God sees our troubles and our sorrows. He sees our hardships. He sees our heartaches. What we go through, God knows all about. He hears us when we cry out to Him. Now, look at verse 10. Here it comes. It says, And Moses said unto the Lord, O my Lord, I am not eloquent. Neither therefore, nor since thou hast spoken unto thy servant, but I am slow of speech and of a slow tongue. Another excuse. He didn't just give one excuse. Sometimes we just give one excuse and we go on about our way. But God was kind of persistent. He wanted Moses to be the one to lead the people out of Egypt. So Moses did more than one excuse. God told him he was going to use him. And he kept after him. When God asks us to do something, our reaction should be that it is an honor to do something for God. We could stand here all day long and talk about what God has done for us. How he's blessed us. How he's met a need. 
how he gave us salvation, how his son died on the cross for us. We could stand here all day and praise him. And yet when he asks us to do something, do we feel honored? Or do we feel trapped? Do we feel like, oh man, i got to do this? I don't want to answer, but you answer this for yourself. How many people, when they got up this morning, was excited about coming to church? Or came to church because they thought that's what was expected of them? Or obligated? Then we should be excited just to come into His presence, to worship Him. But are we? Are we honored when God asks us to do something for Him? Or do we respond like Moses? Of verse 11, he says, who am I? I'm not qualified. I don't know what I'm doing. Why would you want to send me? And God talking, I love verse 12, said, certainly I will be with thee. See, God's not going to ask you to do something and then desert you. God's going to ask you to do something, and then if you'll let him, he'll work through you to get it accomplished. God will be with us in anything and everything that he asked us to do. He turned that one good hand into a leprous hand, and then he made it well again. If you read on, he turned the water into wine, I mean into water into blood. Look at verse 10, down through, well, I'm just going to start at 11. It says, And the Lord said unto him, Who hath made man's mouth, or who maketh the dumb, or deaf, or the seen, or the blind? Have not I the Lord? Now therefore go, and I will be with thy mouth, and teach thee what thou shalt say. And he said, another excuse, this is Moses talking now, O oh, my Lord, send, I pray thee, by the hand of him whom thou wilt send. Somebody else will do it. Let somebody else do it. I'm not qualified. Somebody else will do it. How often do we think that? But now read 14. It says, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses, and he said, Is not Aaron the Levite thy brother? I know that he can speak well. And also, behold, he cometh forth to meet thee, and when he seeth thee, he will be glad in his heart. Moses finally got down to, Didn't you send somebody else? What he's actually saying is, I don't want to do this. I want to. I do not want to do God's will. Send somebody else. And God's telling him, you're the one I picked. I've said this before, but I'm going to say it again. So I'm telling you, this lesson was probably more so for me than anybody. Because I think I was a Moses. Now, I know I was a Moses. You know, God said teach Sunday school. That's been many years ago, and I'm like, 
You're talking to me? You want me to teach Sunday school? An adult Sunday school class? I haven't been saved that long, Lord. I don't know the word that much, Lord. There are people out there that have been serving you a lot longer than me that know the word better than I do. And God said, I'll help you. But Lord, these people have been in church so much more than me. So much more than me. And he said, I'll help you understand the word. When you study, I'll help you. And I thought, why are they going to listen to me?
So if you sit there and think, well, I go to church and I love the Lord and I pay my tithes, but I'm not going to do what He tells me to, and you're going to make it into heaven, read your Bible. Read your Bible. Because your salvation is between you and God. And if God is talking to you and you're not listening, you might be in trouble. The anger of the Lord was kindled against Moses. wonder when he said, I think I'll do what God asked me to. Moses didn't want God's plan for his life. Even though God had dispelled every excuse that he had, he should have just said, I don't want to. God, I don't want to. Moses didn't want to because he doubted himself. And he forgot who he was serving. See, when God asks us to do something, sometimes I think we forget who we're serving. And if God lays something on your heart, and when you're looking at it, it looks like it's impossible to do, that there is no way, God will open a door, and He'll make a way. Because if that's what He's wanting you to do, why would He tell you to do it and then not fix it to where you could? I mean, that'd be like telling somebody to bake a cake and not give them any eggs or flour. God's not going to do that. That's not the way he works. What do we say? With God, all things are possible. So don't let yourself or Satan talk you out of fulfilling God's plan for your life. And like I said, we all agreed in the beginning. The Word of God is true. And if the Word of God is true, then He's got a plan for your life. Now, I want to talk about someone who didn't want to do what God wanted him to or fulfill God's plan for their life, but for an entirely different reason. Turn over to Jonah.
You're not good enough. Who are you? You've heard him say, I couldn't read. God's made a way, though, hadn't you, Brother Leon? And he'll do the same for us. But Jonah, he didn't want to. Look at verse 17. It says, Now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. What we don't realize is, when we don't do what God asks us to, there are consequences. Things are going to happen that we may not like. Because when your child is disobedient, do you just laugh and say, oh, well, ain't that cute? And if you do, I feel sorry for you and the child. Most of the time when our children are disobedient, we discipline them one way or another. And how you pick and choose to do that is up to you. But you want to teach them right from wrong. You want to teach them what's acceptable and unacceptable. Well, when we don't do what God tells us to and we're being disobedient, sometimes he has to discipline us. Or we call it chastise us. Well, I say sometimes he has to thump me on the head pretty hard to get my attention. So, Jonah, he went the opposite direction. And God got his attention. We need to remember that no matter who we are, how high up the status ladder we are, The main thing is to do what God wants us to do. Because remember, he's supposed to be first. First in everything. And if he is not first in what we're doing in our life, the Bible tells us everything we think, say, and do is to bring glory to God. Does it? Does it? And only you can answer that. Now look at Jonah chapter 2 and verse 1. Then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Now, if you read through 2 through 9, talks about him being in the whale's belly and how he, in his prayer to God he prayed, Jonah realizes that he had disobeyed God and he was sorry for it. See, that goes back to what I said a while ago. There are consequences for being disobedient to God. He may withhold blessings. He may withhold finances. He may kind of pull his spirit away a little bit. There are consequences to being disobedient to God. And I said he may pull his spirit away. I take that back. Because he'll always be there. But we may draw away from him because we have a guilty conscience. So he'll be there. But there used to be a little thing if God seemed far away, guess who moved? But it wasn't him, it's us. We start to let things just a little bit get in our life. Just a little bit. And then before you know it, it's just a little wider. Then a little wider. And then 
there was something on Facebook that said if you're missing church for very long, you'll miss church or something. We let things come between us and God. And the more we open that door, the more Satan's going to push in at us. So when we're disobedient to God, we're opening that door for Satan to come in and attack us. I want his protective hedge around me all the time. I need it. I need it. Because I know there are things out there that could hinder my walk with God. Don't ever think you're above losing your salvation. Well, I've served God for 30 years. Fine. It may take one major thing to cause you to doubt your relationship with God that could cost you your salvation. Don't ever think that you're above Satan attacking you. That's his job. That's what he wants. And he's going to look for the weakest area in your life to attack you. And if you're being disobedient, you open up that door for him to come in full force. So Jonah knew he had been, he knew when he went the other way he was being disobedient to God. And yet he went anyway. And hopefully, well, maybe I'm the only one that has ever gone against what God has asked me to do. I knew it. I knew, I knew I was doing something that God had told me no. And I'm not talking about out there sinning or doing anything like that. Well, Larry and him were sinning. Had a group. I wanted to open a little store, which was going to take me away from what I did for the group, which was manage them, CDs, T-shirts. And God said, now is not the time. And what do we say? But God, I want it so bad. So I did it. Knowing in my heart, God had said no. So uh, they were singing at Tuckerman, and that's where the store was at. I opened the door and set a chair out by the door so I could hear them. And the whole time I sat there, God said, yep, you're supposed to be over there. Where are you at? Sitting over here. That store lasted three months. And was shut down. Didn't make any money. Why? Because I was out of the will of God. Why is God going to bless something that he's told me no for? If your child back talks you, are you going to look at it and say, well, you know what? You back talk me. I think I'll give you a sucker. No. My kids knew better. They knew their hind end would get tore up. But we do God that way all the time. He says, no, but we're like, but I don't want it so much. It won't hurt. You'll understand. You'll see. Well, yeah, he did. But I saw even more. So Jonah knew he was being disobedient to God when he went the opposite direction. God just had to pull him back and get his attention and get him on the right track. So he knew. And then he told God he was sorry. And he prayed and he repented. And God gave him another chance. Thank God for another chance. And another with me. And another and another and another. Because I'm telling you, I fail God so much. I mess up so much. 
I have to repent quite often because God gave us free will and we make our own choices. And sometimes we don't put God first when we make that choice. Sometimes we put everything else first when we make that choice. Now, God was glad that Jonah had repented. And Jonah went down and he preached to Nineveh. They all got saved. The king even made a decree that he had to worship God. But look at chapter 4 and verse 1. Now he did what God asked him to. He went down there and preached. They got saved. They repented. They were living for the Lord. Verse 4, chapter 4, verse 1 says, But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was very angry. He was mad about it. He'd done what God wanted him to. He didn't want to, but he did. How many of us do what God asked us to do with the begrudgingly spirit? Have you ever had two kids fight? You say, now y'all say you're sorry to each other. I'm sorry. Knowing they don't mean it. And you say, no, you say it like you mean it. I remember one time my mama made my brother hug me. We probably, I might have been four or five. He was three years older than me, so he had been eight. I remember him looking at her saying, well, you just whipped me. He didn't want to hug me. He was mad. I don't know why. I don't even know what it was about. But I remember him saying, well, you just whipped me. She said, no, you're going to hug your sister. And so he did, or he would have got whooping and still had to hug me. But sometimes that's how we go about doing stuff for God. I knew someone that said, if I want to do something bad enough, I'll just do it. And he knew he was going to get whipped, and he said, I'll just do it and take my victim. Sometimes that's what we do with God. The sad thing is, and something we need to think about, is while we're doing it, waiting on our victim, what happens is something happens to us and we take our last breath and we don't get the chance to repent. Where are you going to spend eternity? See, we think, yeah, I'm going to live. I'll live. I've outlived my mom and dad both. My mom died at 44 my dad died at 54. I hope I've got... 20 or 30 more years. Only God knows. We never know when we're going to take our last breath. We don't know. You may leave it. I work in the funeral business, so I see all things that happen. You may leave your house this morning and never make it home that night. So it's something that we need to think about. Now, Jonah had been finally, he'd done what he was supposed to. He went down there and it all got saved, and he was mad. He knew God said that if they didn't repent, he would destroy them because they were so evil. Jonah knew God had mercy, and he knew that if they did repent, God would forgive them and everything would be okay. And here he went down there and he preached hellfire and brimstone. And then they get saved and God lets them off the hook. Jonah was mad about it. You know, so 
He goes and he sits down. Look at, let's see here. Well, verse 2. And he prayed unto the Lord and said, I pray thee, O Lord, was not this my saying when I was yet in my country? Therefore, I fled before the, before unto Tarnage, and I knew that thou art a gracious God, and merciful, and slow to anger, and of great kindness, and repentest thee of the evil. And he gets mad, and God says, verse 4, Then said the Lord, Dost thou will to be angry? Does it do me any good to be mad? Me and Mia were watching something on TV the other day, and I don't know, something happened, and this guy didn't get his way or something, and he kicks this barrel, and he takes a hammer, and he's hammering it. She said, why is he doing that? I said, well, he's mad. I said, not doing him any good, is it? And she said, no. Now, we're talking to a six-year-old. Seven. She's seven now. I said, is it doing him any good? She said, no. And I said, he looks kind of silly, doesn't he? She said, well, yeah. And that did not want me to that head. She said, well, yeah. And I said, so when we're mad and we show out like that, it doesn't do us any good. And it makes us look kind of silly, doesn't it? She said, well, yeah, it does. And I said, so really, then there's no sense in acting that way, is there? And she said, well, no. And I said, you've learned a lesson. We want to get mad because things don't go our way when we're disobedient to God. Well, if you're being disobedient, then don't get mad at God. Be mad at yourself. You're what's brought it on yourself. Doesn't help us to be angry. I wonder if God laid conviction on Jonah. What does he do? He went and he sat down and he pouted because he didn't get his way. Nineveh was not destroyed, and he was mad about it. He sat there waiting to see if it would be destroyed or if it would, if they would get saved. And we do this when we pray and we get an answer, but it's not the one we want. How many times have we prayed for something and got an answer, but it wasn't how we thought it should be? The first thing we say is, well, God didn't answer my prayer. Yes, he did. You just didn't get the answer you wanted. You know, do we, when the drug addict gets saved, kind of get myth and think, well, golly, they've been on drugs for years, and my kids, they've been brought up in church. They're not in church, but they're still out there in sin. We should rejoice just as much when that drug addict, alcoholic, or anybody else gets saved as if it were our own child. We should be just as happy and overjoyed as if it was one of my daughters that walked up here and gave their heart to the Lord. Because who knows? That person that just got saved may move to Conway and witness to one of my daughters and get them saved down here. We never know. Verse 6 or 8, I'm just going to paraphrase. God used Jonah as an example to himself. He gave John a shave, then he took it away, he caused the wind to blow and the sun to beat down. Now this is while he's sitting there pouting. I know we never pout about something God has done or not done. But it was so hot that John fainted. And then I'm going to read this little bit. 
In verse 9, chapter 4, verse 9 through 11, it says, And God said to Jonah, Dost thou well to be angry for the Lord? And he said, I would well to be angry even unto death. We need to be careful what we say. We may get it. Then said the Lord, Thou hast had pity on the Lord, for the which thou hast not labored, neither madest it grow, which came up in the night and perished in the night. And should not I spare Nivea and that great city wherein are persons that cannot discern between their right hand and their left hand, and also much cattle? He said, don't they deserve a chance to hear the word of God? Don't they deserve to have the chance to receive salvation? Sometimes we get a holier-than-thou attitude. I've served the Lord 30 years. Why? That homeless person said, look how dirty they are. And I've said this before. If two people came in that door back there at the same time, and one of them had on diamonds and all this other good stuff, and the other was a street person, who would you go to greet first? Because to me, one is just as important as the other. God doesn't look at the outside. God looks at our heart. And to me, I don't care if it's a president of the United States or that drunk that sits on the corner every day. They both have a soul. And they are both important to God. We need to think about it before we think we're better than somebody else. They've got sin in their life that needs to be forgiven. You had sin in your life that needed to be forgiven. But have, and, and then sometimes we're like, somebody that has really hurt us will hear they got saved. Well, I can't believe they got saved. Why would they get saved as not my daughter? They got saved, I wonder if they really got saved. Well, just think all the sin they've done. Think how they hurt me. Think what they did to me, and they got saved. Well, have you ever hurt anybody? Have you ever said something you shouldn't to somebody? Have you ever done anybody wrong? Or were you sinless all this time? See, God shows mercy and grace to each and every one of us. And he wants us to show mercy and grace to each and every one of everybody we come upon with. The Bible says if we can't forgive others, then we won't be forgiven. That I don't want to attitude can either be excuses on why we don't want to, or it can be pridefulness, that holier-than-thou attitude. Either way, either way, you're being disobedient to God. I want to go to heaven. But if we're going to go to heaven, we're going to have to get it in gear and do God's plan for our life. So, and I'm going to leave you with this. <clears throat> Me and I have some pretty good conversations. And I don't remember what started this conversation. But I said, she's so hungry to know about God and to learn about Him. 
And we were talking, and I said, well, Leah, let me tell you a little story. She said, okay. We're sitting in the front room. I'm on the couch. She's in a chair right beside me. I said, there were two sons. And the father asked one son if he would go work in the field. And the son said, sure, I'll go work. But he never did. Then the other son came along, and the father said, will you go work in the field? And the son said, no, I want to. But in the end, he went and did what his father asked. We're talking to a seven-year-old. And I said, Mia, which son do you think the father was happy with? She looked at me with those big old brown eyes, and she said, well, the one that did what he asked him to. And I said, you're exactly right. I said, sometimes God asks us to do something, and we say we will, but we don't. Sometimes God will ask us to do something and we say we don't want to, but then we do. I said, God is pleased with the one that follows through and does what he asks us to. And it's the same way with us as adults. We're not doing what God asks us to. He's not happy with us. Does that plain and simple? Brother Roger, that's all I got.